when a guard would stop and talk to you, you used to stand back and you would yell so people could hear what you were saying to that guard as they walked by or, or within the vicinity. But he knew what a convict was going to do before they thought of it themselves. He'd just been around that long and uh, he was tough. They'd find uh, Sparky in about every conceivable place you could imagine, which we would, of course, dump. They'd wait until everybody was locked up and he would open his door, run down to cell one and get a bugler can full of Sparky and take it back to his cells. She had a kind of a hypnotic power. There were a great many wild cats around the penitentiary, and most people couldn't get near them. But she would stand in the doorway of the cell house and say, Kitty, 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 and those cats would go to her. Welcome, everyone, to Stool Pigeon Saturday. Um, we have a guest in the studio with us today. Her name is Suze, I mean Suzanne. Uh, she, for everyone who's wondering, she's the one who calls me Star. Hi, Star. But we love her for it. <laughs> so I call her Susan. Her, her name is pronounced Suzanne. So make sure you get that right when you come in and see her. Great. So Suzanne, what have you got for us today? Well, I decided to talk to you today about one of our former inmates by the name of Henry Meeks. Um. And the reason I chose that was because after several tours, I've had people from back east say, wow, this place is really like the Wild West. Do you have any, you know, famous inmates? And so I'm going to talk to you about one of our famous Wild West inmates, Bob Meeks. Actually, it's Henry Meeks, a.k.a. Bob or Bud Meeks. Bud. Inmate number 574. And he was actually a member of the Butch Cassidy gang. So that was kind of a big deal back here in the West in the Mm -hmm. 1800s. So Bob's story starts in August of 1896 when he walked into a bank in Montpelier, Idaho, which is on the border uh, near Wyoming, Mm -hmm. Wyoming, Idaho border. And he walked in with two other men into this bank in broad daylight, and they walked up to the teller and asked for the money. And they rode away with $7,000. Wow. Back then, that's a lot of money, right? Yes. $96,000, yes. yeah, That was that's big bucks. no small change. Right. Wow. So it was kind of lunchtime, so it took him a while to, for the bankers to get, you know, oh my gosh, we got to get some help here. And these guys, meanwhile, have ridden off to the west, and they finally get some people around to help hunt them down, and they can't find them. So needless to say, they left with this money for about... Ooh, about 10 months. Wow. And then in June of 1897, Bob is captured. Only Bob. No, no other members of the gang or no other members that helped him with this bank robbery. Mm-hmm. And he is tried and convicted and sentenced to 35 years wow. in jail wow. for that bank robbery. He's 28 years old. Okay. So this is June 1897, and he arrives in September here out at the old penitentiary. So he is here for about four years, and kind of, I guess you could say a model prisoner. You know, everybody liked him. He was pretty well behaved. And then for whatever reason, in 1901, his sentence was commuted to 12 years. So cut that in third, about a third, right? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the men who was actually a cashier at the bank at that time was interviewed at this hearing. He just felt that Bob Meeks was not one of the men who robbed the bank. And Meeks continued then, obviously, to that date, proclaim his innocence. And, but he still remained incarcerated. Mm. Okay? 
So then that's August of 1901. And in December of that same year, he is kind of a semi-trustee, which means that he was given, you know, probably a few more privileges than other inmates, you know, maybe not watched over as closely. Well, he's working outside the prison walls, doing some repairs to the hog house. And he's out there with some other guys. And in a flash moment, he decides he unhitches one of the horses and he takes off and tries to escape from the old Idaho penitentiary. Mm -hmm. So this is December 25th, all right, 1901. Christmas and the horse, day. Christmas Day. Christmas Day. It was his Christmas present. escape. It was oh. his present to himself. <laughs> yes. So uh, he heads on that horse north towards Idaho City. And it takes a while for the other inmates to kind of, oh, my gosh, look what happened, and for the guards to react. Yeah. And finally, about 20 minutes later, two guards, guards Donnelly and Fulton, are pursuing him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's got a pretty good head start by this time. Mm -hmm. And they're following his tracks. It's a snowy, snowy day. And um, it gets late at night, and they haven't found him yet. So the two guards head back to pick up the trail the next morning. Mm -hmm. And sometime during that time, he had actually gone to a mining camp, gotten some food <laughs> and some clothing. So he had made a fire for the night and was kind of settled in, thinking maybe, maybe this is my, my great escape. Yeah. But sure enough, the next morning, the two guards are back on his tracks, and they see some smoke off in the distance. Mm -hmm. And this is up towards Idaho City, Moore's Creek area. And they see a little smoke from the fire, and they recognize that horse, Selim. Uh -huh. oh. Selim was the favorite horse, I believe, here at the Old Pen. Yeah. Good workhorse. And so they recognize that, see the fire, and sure enough, there he is snoozing by the fire. And he wakes <laughs> up, and he pretty much gives himself up. He's like, you know what? I give... We're good. Go ahead and take me back. And that's exactly what they did. But a little side note here about Meeks is that um, he, he was born to a good Mormon family in Utah. All right. And yes, <laughs> he grew up in venerable Utah. But after leaving home, he just kind of fell in with the wrong gang. And that mm -hmm. was this Butch mm -hmm. Cassidy gang. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, so, and, and Butch Cassidy, they filmed that film near, I think, Venable, actually. I've been to the little, it's like an old ghost town, actually. Neat. So okay. anyway, sorry, that's an extra side note. A little side note there. Robert about, Redford. Yeah, yay, Robert. Okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, when he was brought back, Warden Arnie was very thankful that he was returned. And he is quoted as saying, I am glad Meeks has been recaptured for the effect it will have on the other prisoners. I am equally glad that we have Selim back. The horse. He's a notable, a noble animal, and it would be a pity to have that horse knocking around among those who would not appreciate his worth. So great quote, yeah. right? Yeah. Idaho no one statesman. ever escapes on Selim ever again, right? Oh, not true. <laughs> not true. Side note again. So this, uh, Bob takes off on Christmas Day. In January, shortly after, another inmate by the name of Sam Bruner, he is also a trustee working outside the walls. He hops on Selim, oh, and he yeah. tries to make his escape. And you know what? He was successful, though. He headed south towards Owyhee County, mm -hmm. and they did not ever find Sam again. But the horse was, again, one of their top priorities. Mm -hmm. And about six months later, they found Selim roaming around near Swan Falls wow. on the Snake River there. So, so were they still – like, they – 
kind of gave up on Sam, but they still wanted, like, were people from the prison still out? Or was it that, like, they put out, a like, basically an APB for this horse? Yes. Pretty okay. much an APB, both for Sam and the horse. Yeah. Sam never is, you know, located again, but I'll be darned if Selim isn't just kind of hanging out in the oh. sagebrush. And oh. they bring Selim back, Fun. and they have their trusty horse. So, honestly, they probably wanted the horse more than they wanted Sam. Yeah. And thankfully, they were able to do that. So, everybody's happy now. So, back to Bob Meeks. So, he's back at the penitentiary after that first escape on Selim. And he's there for about a year. And in February, he tries to escape again. So, this time, as a trustee, you know, I don't think he, maybe he had that trustee status back. I'm not sure. But he runs through the gate and he's headed to the hills. But this time, not so successfully. He stopped by a bullet in the leg. Yeah, they got him. And his leg had to be amputated above the knee. So. Yes. Bob is in a little bit of a, a pickle here, yeah. you know, yeah. probably escaping is not going to be in his future. So in March, though, of that year, that that was in February, in March, as he's healing and, and uh, oh. you know, getting back to regular things, he is climbing up on one of the buildings, one of the, the new territorial cell houses. He's going to watch some of the guys playing some kind of a ball game or something. So he and his crutch, they hobble up to the top of the building and they're watching these guys playing ball. And it's time to kind of come down, get everybody back in their cells. And one of the guards yells for him, hey, you know, Bob, come on, let's go. Bring a ladder over so the guard can climb up and maybe help him down a little bit. And he is resisting. And he shinnies up a trestle towards the wall. And he's up on the wall. And the guard's like, Bob, come on, you need to get down here. So he decides, he's screaming and he dives down 30 oh, feet to the ground my below. Wow. Goodness. Whoa is right. Yeah. Oh. So he's laying there, fiends unconsciousness, but he's, but he's responding to little pinpricks, you know, all over his body. The physician is trying to, you know, decide really what's wrong with him. And really nothing is wrong with him. No back bones are broken and his spine may have been injured. So take him to the hospital, let him kind of hang out there, see what, you know, help him recover a little bit. And as he's laying in the hospital... He's saying, gosh, my, you know, my clothes are too tight. My back hurts. You know, can you take these clothes off me? So there's a couple of guards in there. Mm-hmm. And they decide they have to cut his clothing off because they can't move him around enough probably to remove the clothing. And as they are working the scissors and they lay the scissors down to help remove the clothing, he looks over at the scissors and he's got this look in his eye and he grabs that scissors, I'm sure, and he wants it. He opens it up and he faces the scissors towards his heart like he's going to commit suicide. Both the guards are like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So they make eye contact. And one of them notices a blanket laying on a bed. He grabs a blanket, throws it over Meeks, and the scissors is taken away from him. Wow. So he has Jeez. escaped yet again another kind of a suicide attempt, right, Jeez. to jumping off the wall yeah. and now using a pair of scissors. Well, and I think it's absolutely crazy that he dives off of a 30, basically a 30-foot fall, 30-foot dive, and he doesn't have any major right. injuries. Right. Like a feigning being unconscious is fine but yeah. how does he not have any injuries I don't that's know. crazy and he's like early 30s right 28 yeah. years old when he's he was brought in brought so this in is about five years later so he's yeah. in his early 30s, early 30s you know so but i mean he doesn't have a leg but he's probably maybe still you know strong yeah. torso you and know, this arms. is a month after his his after, leg is amputated yes and he falls off a building and oh he's, he's kind of okay that's crazy yeah. Right. And wow. so he was angry that they had thwarted this attempt at suicide. Mm-hmm. And he is quoted as saying that he would yet accomplish his purpose of making a way with himself. Oh. 
So he's got that in his mind. This is late 1903, and his mother decides that she's going to come and visit him. So she does, and he's on suicide watch here, you know, being watched constantly Mm -hmm. by, by guards and other inmates. And then April 22nd in 1903, a judge does declare him insane, and he is committed to the insane asylum in Blackfoot, Idaho. Wow. Wow. Okay. So it is stated that he is afflicted with suicidal mania and otherwise out of mental balance. (laughs) So I think that that says it all, right? Yeah. All right. So he is moved to Blackfoot. He's committed to the asylum, and... Two of his former gang members visit him in the asylum. Right. And this was 19 days before he he makes an escape attempt. So (laughs) his mother was quoted as saying to another woman after she left his visit that he would get out of here some way, somehow. Hmm. So we don't know if the two guys um, helped him in any way, shape, or form. But it is said that he either dug out or jumped out of the second story of one of the buildings. Jumped again, right? Wow. Wow. Second story. Maybe he didn't really jump. Maybe he could shinny down, right? Yeah. Maybe not land so hard. So either way, there's there's no clear evidence on how he made that escape. But he did get on a horse. And it is also noted in another Statesman article that he rode that horse over 500 miles. Whoa. So they think that he had at that time probably hurt his shoulder pretty bad from his escape attempt. Plus, he only has one leg. (laughs) Plus, one good leg, right? Plus, he's maybe not right in the mind, but he does make this attempt and is not recaptured. Wow. Wow. There was one statement that he was located on his brother's ranch in Fort Bridger, which is south of Evanston, Wyoming. Mm -hmm. They said he was just a physical wreck and... Maybe obviously a mental wreck as well, mm-hmm. right? But there was no attempt made to bring him back to the Idaho State Penitentiary to serve wow. any of his time. And one source says that he was recaptured and returned, but we don't have evidence of that here. And another source states that he eked out a meager life cleaning a saloon. And on January 19th, 1911, he committed suicide. Oh. And it was said that he was buried in an unmarked grave near Fort Bridger, Wyoming. Wow. So what a life, right? Yeah. yeah good works, you say. Wow, what a life. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you would know the, the answer to this, but do you wonder if he maybe faked mental illness so that he could be sent to Blackfoot, which is an easier place to escape yeah. from than mm-hmm. the walls? It's pretty common Yeah, do you, do you know sure. if there was any any suspicion of that? I don't know. I don't know if he just, you know, he had two escape attempts and two suicide Mm -hmm. attempts. Mm -hmm. So maybe with the two uh, escape attempts not working, Mm -hmm. maybe the suicide attempts were what he resorted Mm -hmm. to in order to get out of the the penitentiary itself and in a maybe a less structured, you know, environment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that he could make that escape Mm -hmm. attempt. Yeah. But I do wonder though, if he did eventually commit suicide, if if it maybe was a little bit of both. Maybe it was a a plan to get somewhere that is a little less secure, but also if he was truly fighting those those thoughts, if he did eventually complete suicide. Well, if one of the accounts is correct, then yeah, he did. You know, and that wasn't much later. That was in 1911, and his escape from the asylum was, what, 1903? So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's eight years of kind of... Maybe good years, maybe not so good. If he was eking out, you know, a meager existence, right. cleaning a saloon. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just what yeah. ends mm-hmm. up happening when you mm-hmm. just don't have a 
a direction in your life, right? Yeah. And I feel like if, if you are in this life of crime and you're part of a gang and now you have no leg, you're not going to be an active member mm-hmm. in these the robberies mm-hmm. and having, yeah. So right. I think he, he saw this wait of 12 years in prison and kind of being destitute to you're not going to be out in the fields working. You're going to be sitting in your cell all day or doing really meager work. So, right. I mean, I could see how depression would set in sure. just naturally with his situation. Right. You're not going to get that oh. high of robbing again. Yeah. Or, you know, the trains and the banks like mm. they did so well because mm-hmm. they, they can't take you along. You're a liability yeah. now, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. That's, I know. What? It was a, a sad it's kind yeah, of a sad story, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Very sad story. I did a little uh, inflation count on that $7,000. And this is the inflation calculator I'm looking at. It looks at 1913 onwards. So. And that's the one I used, by the way, for last episode. Yeah. yeah. So in 1913, $7,000 would be $181,000. So we're wow. probably looking at close to... Yeah. 200,000. Well, in, right. in Montpelier, that's probably literally half the town's savings. Right. Like, that's. Oh, don't you think it would be oh, at that point? D- gone down the drain, stolen by Butch Cassidy and his gang. Right. Oh, that would probably. Like, the whole town. Yeah, put the town destitute yeah. almost. Mm-hmm. Oh, that Everybody's trusting you with your money, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Mm-hmm. And were there any shots fired or anything like that? It, there was this? no. I didn't see any indication that they had any shots fired. They so rode they, off. Yeah, so they walked in the bank, yeah. said, Give us your money, yeah. took. $181,000 and just rode off before anyone could get to right. the sheriff. I mean, again, I mean, to, it's it's smart of them to take advantage of small towns because mm-hmm. there's one sheriff and he's probably asleep. Yeah. You know, what else are you doing well, out there? Well, he was there? at lunch. This was yeah. lunch time. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. at so lunch. So they got a... Yeah. You know. do, you, do you think they split it three ways or did they take it back to their oh, camp? Oh, I think they took the it back the to the gang and yeah. as they were, you know, hoarding yeah. all of their, mm-hmm. you know, winnings and whatnot. Yeah. You know, because they had and some pretty substantial train robberies, you know, mm-hmm. $21,000 train robbery. Yeah. I don't know how Goodness. close it was to this one, but wow. whoa, baby. Yeah. I wonder if Bob gave in any of it to his family, like to his mom, mm. and maybe mm. supported her in that way. <laughs> well, I don't know. It sounded like she was fairly, when, they, when the other convicts at, here at the penitentiary found out that she was coming to visit, uh-huh. she had written a letter that said she was going to have to sell some of her cattle in order oh. to come. They actually uh-huh. raised some money. Oh. And helped her come and visit him. So probably he had not helped her with any of those winnings Mm -hmm. that that he had made. Yeah. And so I wonder if the gang kind of turned their back on him when he was incarcerated, except for, you know, later visiting. Right. But, I mean, I wonder how, if it was literally just like a loyalty to a friend. Like, Mm -hmm. I wonder if they made, the the three of them, for whatever reason, were good friends. And it was less of a gang-related visit than just, like, a couple friends being like, hey, we could probably help you get out, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, him being from a, a Mormon family, do you know if it was a fairly large family? I don't. Okay. Yeah. don't know what his family situation was, but he wasn't following their ways, for <laughs> sure. He had left and <laughs> taken a life of crime. Well, <laughs> right? Fine. I mean, yeah, he wasn't into the polygamy, apparently, which is fine. That's yeah, good. we don't That's know. No, no information on whether he ever... Had a wife, had any children, just his... Well, he would have been in his mid-30s when he... Right. Or late late 30s when he died, mm-hmm. so... Yes. Yeah. Here in, uh, yeah, 1911 was supposedly when he yeah. died yeah. and committed suicide. Yeah. So anyway, just a crazy, 
crazy life in the wild west right yeah, absolutely yeah wow and thanks for thanks right. for weaving in sealum as well you can yeah. buy a sealum plush uh, at, at our gift shop yes, if you, you have little ones who are interested in horses or stuffed animals yeah. or yeah. sealum story so yeah. i remember trying to figure out you know because sealum the guards talk about him as being this amazing racehorse and all this stuff but it, like by this time it seemed like he was just kind of an old Nag, you know, nag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually found right. where he was—he was winning all these racing competitions uh, locally here in the wow. county. And I mean, when he was purchased by the prison, I think he was like twelve or thirteen years Whoa. old. He was kind of an older, wow, no kidding, older horse. So to to travel as far as he yeah. did uh-huh. on these escape convicts is absurd. Well, and <laughs> so. you know, one of the in, one of the articles in the Idaho Statesman. Thank goodness for the Idaho Statesman, right? right. That Absolutely. is our. Um, our resource it for is. so much of this information. Yeah. But they did say that he had some of the big harnesses on because he was harnessed to a wagon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once Bob had gone a certain amount of time, he actually cut the harnesses off because it was weighing on the horse. Yeah. Right. And so it was kind of a sign of compassion that he was, mm-hmm. and he was trying to save the horse. There's signs that he maybe walked for a while mm-hmm. and let the horse rest. Oh. So yes, he was probably old and not, you know, totally going to be able to do the job, but <laughs> that he was hopeful that he was going to get away on this horse. And Sam must have been doing something right, too, Yeah, mm-hmm. when he got away on Selim. Well, and I do wonder how much respect they did have for these animals. I mean, as far as we can tell, most of the animal stories we have, they're, like, mo- they're all pretty beloved out here. Right. Uh, you know, that's it is, it's uh, something different from the mundane mm-hmm. is you get to have this mm-hmm. horse. And you also want to treat the horse you're getting away on well, because if you right. don't, it's you're far more likely to get captured, I would think. Sure. So you definitely want to. But I, I do wonder like if there was a pretty healthy respect for yeah. the animals because mm-hmm. the animals didn't lock them up. The animals weren't doing anything, right. you know, to them. They were right. there as a companion it's like a as pet. well. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, like having a pet that you love mm-hmm. that brings out all the good qualities in you. Yeah, and absolutely. So Someone who's gonna nuzzle you and yeah. kindly and gently, yeah. like with right. your permission and like right. <laughs> with love and compassion. That's right. like a cat. Like we'll talk about Dennis mm-hmm. in another future episode. Oh. Dennis the cat that served yes. sixteen years out here. Right. So beloved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's also oh, a little plush Dennis, too. Dennis. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and we've seen in current corrections, and you mm. t- can talk about this a right. little bit, the uh, program where inmates basically raise dogs, mm-hmm. these these kennel dogs, and they train them up and, and uh, require folks adopting them to, to fill out these really strenuous forms about how you're going to raise this animal right. once they're released from prison, basically. And, they are, and, right, uh, yes. to a, a family. And, and it's a great program with the Correctional Facility and the Idaho Humane Society. Yeah, and cool. it's just really neat. Very so cool. animals are important in our mm-hmm. lives, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. And always have been, I think, as, oh, yeah. as this story and many of our other stories prove. Yeah. Well, thanks, Susan. Yeah. You're you welcome, great. Star. <laughs> great to be here, and, Anthony. And I did forget to mention that Suzanne is our educational specialist out here at the Old Idaho Penitentiary. Um, she's excellent, obviously, as you can tell, is what she, at what she does, and she gives a lot of tours when the fourth graders come in, and is very patient with them, and does a great job. And yes. we're very thankful to have Suzanne out here, even when she calls me Star. Okay, thanks, you guys. <laughs> thanks, Suzanne. Oh. Do your own time. Do your crime. <laughs> sure. Do your own number as well. <laughs>
Do your number? Yeah, do your own. Do your crab, do your own. Or do your own time, do your own number. Do your own time. I don't know that one. You've been listening to the podcast. It's, but I didn't remember it's in that. <laughs> to Somebody will probably enough. get it. I just didn't get it. We like it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's great, you guys. That was super fun. If you enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe so others can find our podcast. If you're interested in more Old Idaho Penitentiary information and to see mugshots of the inmates featured in this episode, follow the Old Idaho Penitentiary on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to learn more about the Idaho State Historical Society and its other sites, follow ID State Historical Society on Instagram or visit history.idaho.gov. If you have a question or comment for the hosts, please email us at behindgraywalls at gmail.com.